ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Michael Merrill. We get into getting prepared for season, having a positive outlook and going farther on mind over matter. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Michael Merrill. Michael, good evening, man. I appreciate you jumping on with me and taking the time out of your evening and to tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So why don't we jump into it and give us a little background and an intro. Thank you, Guy. I appreciate the introduction and uh, it's a pleasure to join you this evening. Um, so I, uh, grew up, uh, loving hunting in the outdoors, um, just always had a, some kind of draw to that. And, uh, so even as a young kid, um, didn't really grow up in much of a hunting family. Uh, my dad would take us hunting when we were kids just for basically the, uh, maybe half the day Saturday on the opener. And so it was, I was uh, quite a bit older before I realized there was more than, one day of uh, deer hunting season. So, so that, um, all that but, time uh, was in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was born and raised here and, and have lived here for uh, my whole life, essentially uh, moved around this Valley that I live in about a 50 mile radius. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up around here. And uh, in fact, even as a very young, young kid, um, I remember for my eighth birthday, uh, when my dad asked me what I wanted, I told him that I wanted to go deer hunting. <laughs> so um, that was a little unique. My brothers and, and siblings weren't quite so attracted to it like I always have been. That's a big deal, man. That's a heck of a draw. Yeah, there's just a there's just something to it. Um, something that just speaks to me. And, and uh, I mean, at a young age, I always loved animals and nature and you know, I was always into the Boy Scouts and camping and hiking and, um, you know, any, anything with a, 
with a, a gun or binoculars or a, a bow, um, you know, some, some kind of challenge was, was always something that I was interested in growing up. So when did it really kick off for you, man? When did you, when did you start chasing those animals real hard? So in Utah here, um, when I was younger, uh, they wouldn't let anybody hunt big game until they were um, 16 as I was growing up. And, and so I could have a small game license at 12. But the year that I turned 15, they actually lowered the age to 14. So so I got a deer tag that first year and uh, wasn't able to, to, to kill a deer. But uh, but my second year hunting, I did. And that was, that was the first deer that I ever got. And uh, me and my older brother were out and I was just, just the two of us. And, uh, so that, that's kind of where it all started for me. And I didn't really, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, to, to properly care for it or gut it or, or break it down appropriately. I mean, we just kind of did what we saw other people doing, you know, got it and drag it out, uh, et cetera. But, uh, but there was, um, you know, just something about that process that, um, you know, really I found a connection to. Um, my, my mom grew up, uh, her family owned a meat locker. So she worked there through high school and, um, her, her dad, my uncles and everybody, everybody deer hunted, um, essentially that I knew, but, uh, but my own dad was more of a businessman and, and he would do it for sport. You know, he'd get a deer every year or two or, or every few years, but, uh, he was more just a weekend warrior time to get away in the camper with the kids, take us camping and, and like I said, it was, I don't even think we usually hunted till dark on the opener and usually didn't go back out again. But, um, as soon as, as soon as I got a little older, um, you know, I, I just had a, something that, you know, made me want to go. Um, my dad actually passed away when I was 13 years old. So, um, kind of a, of a rough deal. Um, but, uh, you know, at that time, I still had this connection to hunting. So I, I kept one of my older brothers taking me, kind of made him take me. And so, um, since I could hunt deer, I've never, ever gone without having a tag. And, uh, I, you know, I like to hunt out of state and, um, get out and chase deer and elk and, uh, and other game animals. So that has it always been bow or is it, was that rifle that you started with or? So yeah, I started with a rifle and I, I never really had an opportunity to, I mean, didn't, didn't have friends or, you know, none of my uncles or anybody that I really had hunted around were into archery. Um, but as my, um, you know, in high school, um, dating my girlfriend and, and eventually, um, you know, we got married and, uh, her father was really, really into hunting. And, um, so this is going back 25, 30 years ago, almost now. And, uh, even back then, um, he had Zeiss binoculars and Leica and Swarovski and, and nobody that I knew had even heard of those things. So that's kind of where I learned about premium glass and, and, you know, investing in, in those tools. And so, um, that really, you know, he, he really helped me to, you know, kind of find that skill set that I, I didn't have and have, um, he would hunt, uh, with his bow every year. And, uh, and so eventually I got in, bought me a bow, got one at a pawn shop at first and, you know, couldn't afford anything super nice and, got, you know, whatever, whatever arrows I could find on sale. And, um, so just kind of started, you know, with aluminum arrows and, you know, just kind of, uh, going back in the, in the, uh, 
late 80s early 90s so that was that was the best technology had at the time iron sights with you know painted tips on them yeah (laughs) but there's you know there's something about that that old equipment man and it it just made you hone those skills right i mean the technology we have now um not that i don't appreciate it it uh it makes it a little bit easier yeah, it's unbelievable what um, you know what technology has done. Um, you know when it comes to gear and hunting, and I, um, you know, like everybody, I mean, I had the cotton socks, I had Levi's pants. I mean, eventually got real technical and started by camo, and you know, but um, in fact, I, I was just talking to my wife earlier tonight. We, I've got bins of camouflage clothing, and I'm giving to, you know, the Goodwill or Desert Industries. It's kind of a donation place. And it's just my old camo that, you know, I've had for 25 years, some of this, some of this stuff. And um, I don't ever wear it anymore if we're cleaning out the basement. So. Yeah, we get that accumulation of gear over the years, man. It's crazy. And it's so hard to get rid of it. Even, you know, we haven't touched it in 10, 15 years. Yeah, I finally, you know, I'm 45 now. And I'm finally, I guess I've grown up enough to be okay to <laughs> let it go. So, uh, you know, I, I like my, my Sitka and my first light and my Kuyu and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't wear the old Kmart uh, or Walmart stuff anymore. So, <laughs> you know, what's funny about that. You're, you're talking about that, right. And we talk about technology and for whatever reason, how was it for you with no rangefinder? Cause that was, that's one of the, I mean, uh, Man, without a rangefinder, I don't know what I'd do now. You know, back then you just had to figure it out, right? I mean, you had to, you had, you were guessing. It was a guessing game. You know, this this angle, and I think it's this far, and you were just going for it. The angle especially got me the first. I mean, I had I had opportunities on a couple of pretty decent bucks when I first started hunting in archery, and you know, um, and it just you know over their back or down you know down in front uh-huh. right and it's usually the angle that got me i got pretty good at judging the yardage over time and we you know like a lot of guys i know um my whole i mean i mean the whole time i've been hunting we we are constantly guessing yardage of everything how far do you think that tree is and so once we did get range finders and i bought one of those early when they came out but um but yeah the, i mean i still do it still do it all the time still trying to depend on that range finder and uh, kind of, you know, especially if I'm if I'm in a brush blind or if I'm, you know, on a ridge. I mean, I'm constantly panning and guessing and then verifying with the rangefinder to just kind of know what yardage everything's at. Yeah, it's an important skill, man. Important skill. So, how did your uh, how'd your 2018 season look? You know, um, so it it wasn't fabulous in terms of uh tagging animals um i had a lot of opportunity um passed up a lot of a lot of less mature deer um some younger elk or or cow elk you know in utah you can shoot a cow with your bow and that's not something i'm super interested in I, i'm not don't have anything against anybody that that hunts cows um, i've had cow tags before but uh yeah um usually looking for a branch antler bull or something more mature and, uh, and so, um, had a lot of close opportunities, but just never, never connected. Um, I, I've run trail cameras too. So I do, I do find, uh, opportunities to try and do preseason scouting, um, every year. 
Um, you know, I do a little bit of shed hunting, not, not a ton. I just don't, don't often have time to do that. want to invest uh, that time available more on hunting and, and kind of as we get a little bit closer to the hunt. So, but 2018, I actually early on, um, I did have an, uh, a Barbary sheep and odd tag in New Mexico that I drew. And that was a lot of fun. Went with my father-in-law and brother-in-law. And um, we went out two different times for five days apiece. Um, I did, um, I hunted with my bow the first eight days. I decided if we got, you know, near the end that I would take my rifle along with me and um, never, never had any opportunity on any mature rams and, and also didn't want to shoot a ewe. So we, we passed up some of those uh, opportunities. Um, and then on the very last day, my father-in-law and I did spot some smaller rams uh, about 600 yards away. And, you know, we had, we had a long range set up and all that, but we elected not to, not to take either of those. So we ended up going home empty handed, but it was in uh, some of the most brutal and rugged terrain I have ever hunted in. And I absolutely loved it. It was, it was amazing. Everything was sharp and pokey and prickly and hot and dry and dusty. And, and I, and I was in heaven. <laughs> That's awesome, man. To, to put yourself in that situation and to have something in your sights and decide, hey, I'm not pulling the trigger. I mean, that says a lot, right? Um, and I've, I've brought it up on, on other episodes, but we have this stigma, right? When we talk hunting and hunters and, and people think that, you know, it's just we're out there, we walk out, oh, we see an animal and drop that animal, you know, dead in its tracks and we walk away. Um, but that says a lot when, you know, you go out, you're, you're investing time, you're investing money, you see the animal and you're like, Hey, it's not what we're looking for. Uh, I'm going to walk away from yeah. this. And then the, the misconception is, Oh, this guy's a trophy hunter, right? It, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't big enough for him. Um, but that, to me, and maybe that's because I'm a hunter that, that just speaks volumes about why you're out there and what you're looking for, you know, that mature animal, um, and you're setting a standard for yourself. Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree with that. And I guess, you know, the biggest thing for, for me, um, you know, I mean, you hear people say, um, you know, hunt for the meat and that is absolutely a hundred percent true in my case. Um, however, I don't think it's the cheapest meat around. It's, it's probably the most expensive meat you can buy. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Start looking at all the gear and tags and gas and time and, it's 70, 80 bucks a pound probably. Oh, so, I think uh, more than that sometimes, man. You get a new <laughs> bow and that, that cost of that meat is oh, probably did, 150 bucks a pound. <laughs> oh, did I say a pound? I meant an ounce. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Uh, that is but, about but, it. But, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, and I mean, going way back, you know, I had, a, I had a BB gun when I was, um, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And I would always try and shoot stuff and, you know, and, and one day I, I shot a sparrow off the fence in the backyard. It was the first thing I'd ever killed. And I, again, I, I mean, I had snakes, lizards, frogs, I mean, salamanders, anything I could catch. And I raised that stuff. I mean, I, I would do anything to help nature, be in nature, um, just loved animals. And when that bird fell off the fence, I, it was I couldn't believe it just happened actually. And I felt horrible. I thought, why did I do that? You know, I don't, you know, that didn't, you know, that didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel, I mean, for half a second, I was excited that I finally hit something, 
but I really, I regretted it. And, um, and even today it, it's the same way I had, um, I mean, I trail run a lot, uh, and I'm up in the mountains and, you know, last few years, I mean, I'm, I run into rattlesnakes here and there on the trail and, you know, sometimes I'll post something up or get a little video clip or something. And sometimes I get people that rouse me cause I don't kill them. And, you know, I, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Um, I, you know, help them actually off the path and kind of get them out of the way so that they're not a danger to anybody and that nobody's going to harm them. Um, you know, they're, they're helping us uh, keep the rodents down. So I appreciate the goodness that they do. And, you know, they're not trying to harm anybody. They're just trying to keep safe like the rest of us. So um, for me, 95 or more percent of a hunt has nothing to do with releasing an arrow or pulling a trigger. And, and the joy that I get is, is the entire process from pre-season to literally putting, uh, putting the meat on the smoker and the Traeger grill for my family and preparing, you know, elk steaks or burger. Even, even and if so, you don't harvest though, in a season, I mean, as, as reluctant as we are to, put the gear back in those Rubbermaid bins until next season, there is something whole about a season when you just get out, right? E- even if you don't harvest or kill what you were looking for, um, there, there's just something about being out. And like you said, it's that full experience, man, that just, it just stands out. There, there's just, I think that's the draw, right? It's not just the animal. The animal's icing on the cake. Yeah, that, that odd ad time I went on was, I mean, it was, top five most enjoyable hunts I've ever been on. And I, I never released an arrow. I didn't, I didn't pull a trigger. Um, it's just the experience, just being in that beautiful, um, you know, I hunted in Arizona a few years back. Um, and, um, you know, we, we got small game licenses and we're, um, doing some quail and, um, bird hunting and, and then also, um, had, had some, uh, you know, basically you could use this tag for, you know, if you saw a cougar or, um, a, you know, mountain lion essentially. Um, but we were, um, we were down there hunting and same thing. I'd never really hunted in the desert. And I guess for the maze, the beauty of the flowers on a cactus or, um, you know, the sunsets over, over the, with those saboral cactuses and all the, all the things that I'm just not quite used to in the terrain that I'm, that I'm hunting in most of the time here in Utah. And so, um, I take it all in and uh, enjoy the sunrises and the sunsets as much as anything while I'm out there in, in God's country. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And the challenge, right? I mean, the challenge, at least for me, that is, I'm going to say it's probably 70% of it, right? It's just how how hard am I willing to work to get to that end um, or, you know, get to that next peak or, you know, find that animal. I I think that's a lot of that draw the scenery. And like you said, in God's country, man, is just, yeah, it's, it's second to none in my opinion. Yeah. I, and you know, in fact, um, you know, talking about the desert, I, um, a couple of years ago, I hunted, um, elk, you know, with my bow and, uh, in fact, Utah just changed their rule, um, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, just like, uh, when I hunt deer, they have a dedicated hunter program that I'm involved with. And so I, I do service hours, um, 32 service hours in a, in a three year period to donate time or resources, um, you know, financial things, materials, whatever. 
two fence projects or you know, I took some signs at a boat ramp at uh, a lake and just different things to help and donate time. And the, the term or basically the, um, the trade-off is in Utah, um, they, get, they let you hunt all three of the hunts, um, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle for deer. But the other thing is that as a dedicated hunter, and that's the term, you commit to uh, basically you can only tag two deer out of a three-year period. So you're you're actually foregoing the opportunity to to kill a deer at least one out of three years, and you're donating time and you know your energy. And so I've been involved in that program since I first became aware of it about 15 years ago. It's about three years at a time. So I keep re-upping. But this last year they um, they allowed you to um, you don't have to do the service part of it but um, you can pay extra and you can hunt elk all three seasons but uh, two years ago I, I just had an archery elk permit and um, a lot of the units in Utah are spike only um, or you can shoot a cow and then there's some over-the-counter units that that you have an opportunity to um, you know take any bull it's called an open bull unit and so I was hunting in in one of those and out in, uh, in a desert area where there's not a lot of elk, but I, you know, found, found some herds and, uh, hunted really hard and steep and rugged terrain and, um, ended up killing a, a spike elk out in that unit. And that is hands down. I've been on a lot of hunts. Uh, the, it was the most enjoyable hunt I've ever been on. I was a hundred percent solo. And in a 24 hour period, I went from, spotting the elk to uh, to killing it, uh, packing it out, quartering it up, three loads of two and a half miles round trip each. And uh, 24 hours later, I pulled into my driveway with, you know, cooler full of elk meat. And the next weekend, I, I butchered and cut the whole thing up. Um, my wife helped me wrap it. And we, uh, you know, we, I mean, within one week, it went from, you know, not even seeing that elk to it's now filled my freezer and, and again, just, just it, I, I call it my, my trophy spike. And, you know, it was, it was a trophy in every sense of the word for me, just because, not because of the horn size or the, the spread of the points or anything, but that experience was the single most rewarding hunt I've ever been on. And it's just because it was so difficult and I accomplished something that was, you know, really difficult alone and, uh, it had to, had to really, get some luck for sure but all of this running and, and trail running and shooting my bow all the time and everything to the trail cameras and uh, all of that is what allowed me to have that success and to put myself in a situation to have that luck when i needed it and then when it was time to release the arrow um which you know i i practice long range um as the season gets closer i'm going to practice out uh you know even up to 100 yards or more just for practice. I, I never intend or, or would like to shoot anything at that range at all. But I feel like if I, if I practice twice as far as I ever plan on shooting and uh, a 50 yard shot for me, and it has become just a chip shot, this does not feel like it's difficult at all. And so, um, actually, I actually shot that elk at 73 yards and hit it lethally. And, a cow call and actually got it to stop again and got another lethal arrow in it and and he died you know 40 50 yards away shortly thereafter so um 
So yeah, not about the size, but in every sense of the word, that meet and and that experience was one of the greatest trophy hunts I've ever been on, so oh, to yeah. speak. Yeah, I, well, not so to speak. I mean, you're you're talking my language there, man, because I'm I'm big on you know valuing every single animal that we harvest, right? Anything that we can put in the freezer. I mean, in my opinion, man, uh, it's a trophy from a spike to a fork and horn, you know, mule deer that, that, you know, my opinion of it is, man, they're all, they're all valuable. They're all trophies. They all have their own story, their own preparation, their own struggle. None of them are easy. Yeah. None of them are easy. So man, so, you know, I follow you on Instagram. Um, watch the post, man. And there's just a level of inspiration and positivity in, it seems like every post, man, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing Michael's, you know, smile, right. However that sounds, <laughs> but, but that level of positivity, man, it just speaks to me, right. It, I feel like it's not, I don't know. I, maybe that's the wrong word. It's not valued or it's not enough of it. But it is just so powerful. You know, if somebody sees it one time, they're not going to know. But if you're looking at that every single day and you're going, man, this guy is this guy is an inspiration. What is positivity, man? Where do you find that inspiration and then that positive attitude? What what keeps you what keeps you in that mindset? Because I don't at least from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like you could have anything else but a smile on your face. <laughs> I I have uh I appreciate the kind words. That's um, very, very nice of you to say. Um, you know, uh, I've always been an optimist. Um, I uh, I try and look on the bright side whenever there is one. And if there's not, I find the brightest spot I can find and focus on that until until the light comes in. Um, you know, again, my, my father passed away when I was young, but he was... Uh, he sold uh, life insurance and investments and annuities and things. And so he, at one point, you know, he had about 120 sales guys that, you know, worked with him and, and for him. And so he was very, um, you know, had weekly meetings. And even as a young kid, I mean, he'd have me and my brothers um, come and get in front of the group and even have us do, you know, push ups or do something very difficult and, and just kind of, he would teach us, you know, mind over matter. And, and that, you know, the mind is very, very strong and can overcome almost anything um, if, if you believe and if you put the work in and, and you maintain that, that work ethic. Um, and so I, I grew up watching that, hearing that, um, you know, being raised with that. And so I've tried to continue to, to carry that. And what I've found is that uh, it only gets better. And the more of it that you, that you can harness um, the, the more of it that you see that's out there. And I think positivity just brings positive results and, and positive things that attracts positive people. And, you know, the, the negative people are the ones that, you know, want to pester you or harass you, you know, or, or think, you know, you're, you're overdoing it. You're, it's like, yeah, man, that's the goal. I want to overdo everything in life. You know, I'd rather, I want to move with goodness, the, the best I can, I can muster. And, uh, so it's, you know, something that I've learned to apply to my kind of my fitness journey, which is really based on my goal hunting and being healthy and, and having a long and useful, productive life. 
so how do you feel like you when you take that that positive outlook into I'm going to say into the woods, but really into anything you do that that it has a play on the outcome? Uh, most certainly, absolutely, uh, in just about every case. And and when it doesn't, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, that's okay. I mean, that you know, uh, you're you're major league all star if you're batting very much over 300. <laughs> so you don't you don't have to hit the ball every time, but you uh, you you should be surprised when you don't. And I think if if that's your approach, and like I mean, you bring up taking it out into hunting and like i said even with that that spike elk a couple years back it it was uh i mean it was it was quite a stock and i had to get the wind right so i had to go all you know hundreds of yards the wrong direction and around and really uh you know for me alone um you know as you move closer and especially when you're in steep terrain the trajectory and everything your perspective changes as you get closer it doesn't look like you thought it looked from back further. So all the things that come into play there. And in fact, right when I was getting close to where I thought those elk should be, I didn't see them. And I, I, w- I got frustrated for just a split second and I'm, I'm sitting there, dang it, oh, man, you know, they blew out of here. I didn't even see them leave. I did. And I thought, what are you doing, dude? You know what? Until I've confirmed that they're gone. I'm going to act as though and continue to be as stealthy as I can and work my way to them. And, you know, uh, and so I, that's what I did. And, you know, when I got a little bit closer and when I didn't expect it, but, you know, worked accordingly and put forth effort accordingly as if they were there, sure enough, they had just shifted while I was hiking around, took 40 minutes to get from where I spotted them to in position and, um, they had just moved a little bit. And so, um, you know, because I had that positivity because I didn't get down on myself or get frustrated or, you know, curse or cuss or whatever, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was blessed to, to be able to kill an elk that year and, uh, and have again, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had, you know, 10, 30, 11 at night, you know, I'm, I'm coming off the mountain. It's pitch black. I've got my last load. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, for half a second, same thing. Like, oh man, this is this sucks, you know. <laughs> I thought this doesn't suck. <laughs> There's a full moon. I'm looking up, you know, at the at the beautiful sky. I've got, you know, I've got a, a front and hind quarter of elk meat on my back. This is awesome. You know, when else am I going to have this opportunity? You know, if I'm lucky. Every every few years, maybe something like this, but but I, I I literally talked to myself and told myself as I'm hiking down this steep terrain, you know, there's people, there's there's seven billion people that are going to be born and die on this planet that will never have this experience, and so I I guess you know so so there there are those moments where um, those things can get the best of you for a minute, but I think the important thing is reminding yourself and kind of keeping out of your own head. Um, so that, you know, that positive leaning nature can not only overcome the, the negativity, but elevate you to a place where that experience again is, it's just something I'll, I'll never forget it. You know? 
shared it with people here and there, but most people would never even still understand if they hadn't been through that. Well, and I think, I think we all get to that point, right. Where it's like, Oh man, this sucks. Right. And then we just, we just muster up that, that extra little bit of, you know, getting through the suck. And then we realize that, you know, I, I think part of it is that, that feeling of accomplishment, right. That just, that just makes you glow after you do it. Right. That, you know, that hard pack out, I was stuck on a, we call it Mayday Hill. Um, I was stuck on this hill by myself. It took me nine hours to pack an animal out. Um, oh. I was, I was done, man, out of water, out of food. Uh, my last oh. load. And, uh, I had laid there. I was taking short naps. I was cramping and I don't know what happened. Something just, you know, just snapped. And I was like, I looked up and I just, just blast off, man. And I was done <laughs> when I got back to the truck. I was done. I mean, literally nine hours and you're talking 60% grade on this, on this less than quarter of a mile Hill. It was just, it was horrible, wow. horrible. And, uh, as, as much pain as I was in, I mean, it, that's one of the things now that I always look back on that man and use that as motivation and like, you know, yeah, it was hard. It was rough, but man, what a feeling that is. Yeah, there's nothing like it. And I, you know, I mean, I, I put in uh, for Wyoming last year for antelope and deer and elk and New Mexico elk and, uh, you know, other, other things and haven't drawn some of those tags, but I keep, you know, continue to put in and, and uh, so I'm waiting this year for Wyoming to come out. Um, I didn't draw elk there. I, I put in for deer and antelope. Um, and I will, I will, you know, after those with my bow. And then, uh, you know, I, I do the Utah stuff here. I actually, um, not to jump forward uh, too far, but but this season, um, and I don't know if you saw my post oh, or, yeah, or, I saw or, or not, but <laughs> I, saw <laughs> I was <man>. very, <laughs> very blessed and fortunate to draw a, uh, one of the five dollar expo tags for a, a really really solid um great unit here in utah for uh limited entry bull elk and so i'm really really working hard preparing and getting excited about that hunt yeah i can't wait to see the uh the end result of that one man and i don't know what i was thinking yeah. i was in utah and uh, I think I was so excited just to get in the show, man. We, I walked right past the boxes at the entry there and did not put in one. Mm -hmm. Got home. Never, I never even thought about it. And got home and uh, a friend of mine had went out on, uh, he went on on Thursday. I think it was there for the opening day. And he goes, hey, what did you put in for? And I just dropped my head and I said, absolutely nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> just totally uh -huh. slipped my mind. I, I have no idea why and how I was prepared to do it. And I think I was just excited to get in there, man, and just see everything and, you know, all the new gear and shake hands. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was kind of disappointing, man, but I'm excited to see how your hunt turns out. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Those shows are like Disneyland for hunters. It's, uh, <laughs> I really, Oh man, that's my jam. Uh, had a had a great time this last year. I do um, total archery challenge as well. Um, usually at Snowbird, that's going to be in Park City this year, but that's another just top-notch event, and I mean, just one of the one of the greatest times you can have. Um, I miss, I miss know, registration every year on that thing, man. Yeah, every year I missed it last year. Yeah, I had year, reminders on my cell phone, my computer, email. I, I mean, I was I was bugging total archery challenge. When's it going on sale? When's it going on sale? What you know? The people I know there, I'm pestering on there. Don't worry, you're going to get a notice 24 hours before. And 
I, I joked and said, I think I might have been registrant number one. I literally <laughs> I had it loaded up at 8 o'clock a.m. And one second, I was already there. And because I, I registered last year, um, ironically, all of my data was auto-saved. And so, I mean, I, you know, within three minutes, I was paid and good. So, yeah, that was awesome. But, yeah, I heard that this year it sold out in like 40 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, the year before they, they put it for sale during the hunt expo and same thing. I just didn't, I missed it. Didn't know by the time I went to register, um, they only had like Thursday and Sunday knock times at the time. And so anyway, I, I signed up for what I could and ended up, uh, kind of sliding in, um, into a couple openings that they had, you know, just kind of hung around and, they're uh, great folks there willing to help out when they can. It's, it's just a supply and demand thing. And it's just the demand is through the roof. So Yeah. I, I messed up and I was, you know, me and a couple of buddies were talking about going and okay. Hey, they're on sale. So, you know, here goes the text message back and forth. And by the time we got done with all that, Hey, it's sold out. What? It was, yeah. It was uh, bummer, man. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, I actually signed my brother up. And he didn't even know it. I, he, he hadn't texted me back in time. And I'm like, they're going, dude. And he's like, I think I can go Thursday. So I hurried and signed up for him. And and so that'll that'll be fun. I, I, I keep telling him about it every year. But, um, you know, I get, I love the um, Cameron Haynes does a keep hammering trail run there. And that's just such an awesome time too. I mean, they have great raffle prizes, and, but the camaraderie and, just the great people that you meet. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I got friends all over the country that I've met from these events that, you know, we stay in touch a little bit and people, you know, if you're ever in Texas, you can come hunt on our ground. If you're ever in Oklahoma, if you're ever, you know, it's North Dakota. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of fun to kind of uh, connect with like-minded people, you know, no matter where they're at and have common goals and that love and appreciate this stuff like we do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that, man. The camaraderie and that brotherhood, man. There's that is like no other, right? I mean, that that connection that we share, I mean, you can you can be from, you know, New Zealand or Australia or, you know, Maryland. And and no matter where you meet or talk to a hunter, man, there's just a level of brotherhood. That is just phenomenal, man. You can, I mean, with my podcast, right? I'm talking to people, you know, three, four times a week. And it's just like, wow, it's, it's all the same, but it's different stories and there's different perspectives. And it's just amazing, man. Amazing. The, the quality of person that you meet when you start talking to hunters. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, to your point, I, I mean, I have a, I've got a, like a Sitka vest that I'll wear around, um, you know, it's kind of more of a casual, it's a, you know, like a navy blue. Um, but you know, I'll wear that when I travel, I travel for quite a bit. In fact, I'm leaving tomorrow, um, to a trade show in uh, Washington, DC for a couple of days. And, and, uh, you know, I'll, if I wear a mountain ops hat or Sitka or Leopold or Vortex or, a lot of people, you know, standing in line waiting to get on the airplane or, I mean, inevitably it attracts those folks to come over and kind of chat for a minute. And it's been amazing that even, you know, like we were just talking about Total Archery Challenge, um, I got paired up with uh, a couple of guys, uh, Matt Anthony out of, out of Idaho, the Boise area, like two or three years ago. 
And we still message together all the time. We went and shot one course. And I mean, I, I could go hunting with that guy anytime. We, you know, became, you know, pretty good friends just from shooting on the mountain. Um, I shot with Iron Will Broadhead last year and ended up, uh, you know, um, being friends with, with those guys and the bow guys and uh, Ryan Mickler with Order of Man podcast and, you know, just people that you shoot with. It's like, you know, I've since been to his house, met his family. We shot bows in his backyard. I mean, you know, and he lives like four or five hours from where I live, but it, it's, you built this bond that is just very unique and different than anything else, you know, any other hobby or, or thing that you might enjoy. It just, it just doesn't seem like there's that same kinship or brotherhood that seems to be connected with hunting and the outdoors and, you know, those things that we love. So where do you, where do you draw your inspiration, man? You know, um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's, there are, I mean, there's a, there's a number of people that, that I, um, watch, you know, and, and follow closely. I mean, one of them, kind of an obvious one, if you look at a lot of my posts, I mean, I've been following Cameron Haynes pretty closely for about, I think 2014 is when I started, um, you know, before he had quite, quite as much of a platform or a following, but, um, and just by chance, you know, saw, saw this YouTube video of this guy hauling a rock up the mountain, you know, in his pack. And I thought, that's crazy. And I remember just thinking like, why in the world, you know, <laughs> it just didn't make sense to my mind at the time. And, and then, um, and I had, uh, you know, I got into running, um, it's been well, 2015 as the first year I ever ran at all, really, um, always been into sports and athletics and always loved those types of things. But my wife's a lifelong runner and, and she helped kind of spur me on and encourage me and support me and, in, in gaining that love. But, um, between her helping and encouraging and supporting and running with me and, watching Cameron Haynes. And then I have a cousin that married a guy um, known as the Iron Cowboy. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's James Lawrence. Um, did 50 full Ironman triathlons in 50 days in a row, every single day, one in every state in the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. And so that, um, we were at a, at a family thing for uh, Memorial Day, actually having a barbecue with family after we visited the graves. And, and I was talking to James. He was telling me about this goal he had. And, and he was telling me about his story. You know, his wife signed him up for a 5K. And he saw some lady uh, pushing a stroller. And she was pregnant, I think, <laughs> running past him on this 5K. And he's there, you know, ready to, to throw up and, you know, couldn't breathe and just out of shape, you know. And, and, you know, he was an athlete, uh, you know, wrestler in high school and, and all that, but just as a, as a younger adult, you know, in your mid twenties or, or, you know, late twenties, you kind of start to get that, you know, that gut seems to find its way out for some of us. And, and so he was in that same place, you know, and so that drove him and eventually he was competing and doing things that, I mean, setting world records and doing things nobody had ever accomplished ever and nobody has done since. And so I was watching that and, you know, um, Cameron's example of training for hunting was uh, just a new, new thought for me. 
And so, um, actually, ironically, that the year before that, in 2014, I shot a, you know, a mature, it was just a three point that was under his, his, uh, you know, mule deer horn should have been bigger, you know, kind of heavy horn for, uh, for a, a three point. And, uh, anyway, very steep terrain, about a 500 yard hike up to where he was at. And, uh, I was so exhausted. I, I felt like I was going to pass out just getting up to that deer. And I thought, you know, I sat there and just, I actually, you know, buried my, my face in my hands and said, that's it. I'm done with this. I'm done feeling like this. Here I am on top of the world, almost literally, you know, about 12,000 feet on this peak and, uh, you know, lower oxygen content at that elevation as it is, but I, I was just gasped. And I thought, you know, this should be, and is one of the, the things that I enjoy very most in life. And here I am on a successful hunt. I'm ready to break this deer down and, and I can't even breathe and catch my breath. I had to rest to do anything with it, you know, for five or 10 minutes. And so at that moment, that was in October, um, you know, I, I set a goal and decided I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start running. And so I set a goal for January 1st and uh, did a th- uh, just a three month goal and to run 250 miles by Easter and I accomplished it, hit 256 miles the day before Easter. And I thought, well, I can do that again. I'm going to do it three more times this year and go for a thousand miles. And same thing. I, I hit that goal and I ran two marathons that year. And one of them was with the Iron Cowboy on, on his 50, 50, 50. And I flew out to Minnesota and ran my first marathon with him only five months after I'd started running. And, and, uh, at the end of the year, I ran another marathon to surpass my thousand mile goal. I wasn't just going to run a wussy little five mile run on the treadmill. <laughs> I had to do it big. <laughs> so anyway, that, so those things, that just um, measuring my progress and having a purpose, which happened to be my passion, which happened to be hunting and the outdoors and success in the elk woods and up on the mountain. Um, and since then, again, I've, I've just incorporated that into every facet of what I'm doing. And so essentially now when I, I'll go on a trail run, I've got, you know, kind of a path that I take. It's about a, a thousand foot gain of the first mile. So it's really steep terrain and I'll, you know, run as much of that as I can. And when I can't run anymore, I'll hike fast until I can catch my breath again and get energy built up and run again. And then I'll throw a pack on and and do that too and and then i incorporate a trail camera in that so i'll have a pack with a 45 pound salt lick or two so i've got you know 45 to 90 pounds of the pack hiking up and set the salt by my camera swap the sd cards and then run my loop run back down and down in my truck i've got my target and my bow ready and then while i'm while i'm tired and exhausted i'll pull my bow out and i'll i'll shoot a couple dozen arrows and so I've been doing that for maybe three or four years now. And so now I rarely run on the road. I, I always prefer the trail if I can. Um, but, uh, you know, a treadmill will do in a pinch too, just to get the, the cardio in and to keep my, my fitness up. But, but now I essentially in, in a couple hours, I can get a, a really nice, difficult trail run in, get my bow reps in check my trail cameras, 
you know, enjoy the high country. And, you know, it's, it's two miles from my house. <laughs> so, you know, if I can do that three times a week. And you're I'm out good. running a T-Rex, man. yeah yeah that was hilarious (laughs) that 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 tickled me man that was too funny i saw that and i was like man if he would if he would have put that on the ground like i got the thing but if he had put it on the ground it'd been that much better man it was so funny when i saw that yeah the same thing i was i got a dm that the guy's name's jake apple and uh and he 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 basically sent me a dm with that picture and it was one of those that the picture expires. Uh-huh. And so thank goodness I I thought well enough to take a screenshot really quick. So I started laughing. I'm like, that is hilarious. That is funny. And I see the little progress bar and it's going to the end. I better screenshot that. <laughs> when I got done screenshotting, I went to hit it again. It was gone. gone. So I'm yeah. like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad funny. I got that. So anyway, he, he said, I just couldn't help myself after that last post. It looked like you're hauling butt and out, out running away from something. So... I got Photoshop out and threw a T-Rex behind you. Yeah, what what better to be running from with a smile on your face than, than T-Rex there, man? <laughs> yeah, 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 it was pretty funny. So um, so that, that has to be pretty motivating, right? To, to go from, and I'm making an assumption, and excuse me for making an assumption, but from being, you know, out of shape, sedentary for the most part, right? And suffering on that hunt and going, man, I can't, I can't do this like this. And I've been in that position, right? I was out on a, we were on a pig hunt. This is probably, I don't know, three or four years now. And weight was up, you know, same thing. That belly starts sticking out and you're caught up in life. And, you know, uh, at the time it was, I was getting maybe two weeks of hunting in and a weekend here and there. And uh, we're out on this pig hunt, man. And it had been raining really bad, muddy. And we had to cross this, this little Creek and, uh, I took a four, it was like a four foot jump, man, to where it was like a couple inches of water. And I wanted, you know, I didn't want to have to boot through, you know, 10, 12 inches of water. I had low boots on and uh, I made that little four inch jump, man. And it, it struck me at that moment when I barely made it across that little, that little four foot leap there. And it was just like, oh man, I got to do something. This is bad. Like it's caught up with me. I'm suffering when I'm out here, you know? And then I started thinking, yeah, if I got to pack a hog out, that's going to be miserable, man. Yeah. Our boots were clogging with mud. It was just, yeah, those realizations, yeah. you know, and, and not to, not to say that you have to be the most fit person on the mountain, but it does facilitate the hunt. But, but the mental capacity that comes along with knowing that you can go that extra mile when, when it's time to man is, is a powerful thing. Definitely, uh, definitely something about staying motivated on that. It just, you know, it's a big deal. And then when you see that, when you see that gain, and like you said, it's, it's something you're passionate about. So when you're able to translate that to, you know, boots on the ground, your hunting experience, man, it's a, it's a big deal, man. I, uh, I commend your effort for it because it, uh, I know what it takes, right. To stay, to stay motivated, to stay focused and constantly, you know, say, okay, I have to do this. There's times where I got to imagine that you don't feel like doing it. Um, but I don't see you laying down on that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting you say that because that's exactly when I, when I feel like not doing it is actually, I mean, 99% of the time, that's when I hurry and do it. And every single time, I mean, literally without fail, I, I never one time out of hundreds and hundreds of times, 
never once did I regret having done it. I, I always feel better and I'm always grateful. And and then I just remember the next time, you know, that's when, and I, it actually, it's, it is, you know, going all the way back to Cam Haynes throwing a hundred pound rock in his pack. I mean, it just seemed nuts. And, and, but to me now, it's like, that's perfect. What a, you know, what a great way to train. And, and, you know, now when it's snowing, when it's raining, when it sucks, so to speak outside, that's when I want to go. I actually, I want to go when the weather's bad, I get excited. And, and it's, it's not, you know, it sounds whatever it sounds like to, to some people, you know, some people, they like, Oh, you're crazy. That, that's the dumbest thing I've ever, you know, that's fine. <laughs> you know what? I'm the guy smiling, yeah. you know, yeah. You're, you're, you're over there eating Cheetos and watching The Bachelor. It's, to, it's, it's fine. I'll DVR it and I'll watch it later That's after right. my run. But, but it so. is, there, there's something to be said about that, right? Because it's easier for us to make an excuse for something than just going and getting after it, right? I mean, there, there's something about that that is just easier. Right. And those times that that I didn't get up and, and get after it or go to the gym or, you know, I'm not really a distance runner. I'd rather do sprints or go lift weights. Um, but I always regret those times way more than, you know, the times where it just sucks just to go. You know, I, it, it just it'll stick with you for days. You know, you get into the gym the next day and you're, you're constantly trying to make up that miss, you know, and you're just regretting that miss. And for me, I just revert back to trying to cross that little four foot part of that stream and uh, mm-hmm. be, barely being able to, you know, get my butt fat butt across it at the time. You know, it was just, it, it, yeah, easier to make excuses, man. So I don't know. Well, and I think those moments, I mean, for me, it sounds like yours is very similar in that it, you're very exposed. You feel very vulnerable and you realize when, when it's not someone else telling you, it's you, your own voice inside your own head saying, this is, this is horrible. This is, this sucks. What are you doing? And that's what I, I, I just thought, I can't believe this. How have I, you know, I was 30 pounds overweight, yeah. you know, I've lost that weight. I've kept it off. And, but you know, I still got, I, I can still trim up. I still need to, I'm, I'm, you know, still working on that, but, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I'm going to die trying, I'm going to die getting there. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the first guy up that hill. And, uh, you know, when, when it's go time, I'm not going to have to be wondering, you know, where my release is or how I do this or what the yardage. I mean, I, this is the stuff I'm working on all the time. And so the, the worse the condition, the, you know, if it's windy, I love shooting my bow in the wind. I think it's awesome. I, it's so much less boring than, you know, going down to a local archery shop and shooting at 20 yard targets inside with fake grass. It's like, that's cute, you know, and that's, that's better than not shooting my bow, but that's not preparing me for the uh-huh. hunt. Exactly. I mean, I, I already, you know, I've got, I, I, I shoot my bow thousands and thousands of arrows a year. Those, those aren't necessarily helping me improve. They might keep me fresh and, you know, keep, keep me going. I think that, that repetition is important and even critical. Those reps, I, I think, you know, that, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I like to lift too. That's another important thing for me. That's out of the, out of shooting and running. Lifting seems to be the, the take the back seat on occasion. If I just don't have those hours in the day or I can't seem to put it all together. I mean, I'm building a house right now and I'm almost done, but that's been nuts doing a lot of the work myself. So those extra hours that, 
and I'm putting four or five, six hours at night on my house, sometimes two, three hours in the morning before my full-time job. But when it's, you know, I'm still finding time two, three times a week to get out and run, shoot my bow. And I'm working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week between my job and working on my house. And so, yeah, I'm sore. I'm tired. I'm, but I'm smiling and I'm enjoying it and I'm improving and I'm, I'm prepared. If my hunt's tomorrow, I'm going to go kill a big bull because I'm always, always trying to be ready. I, you know, I agree, man. I, you know, we, the, the local archery range here, we, we get out to about 120 yards and every day at 11 o'clock, man, we got a, we have a westerly crosswind and you'll see that range clear out. And I absolutely love <laughs> going out there, you know, 70, 80 yards and just shooting the boat. You know, can I, can I put my yeah. quiver on a full quiver, right? I don't, I don't want to have, you know, anything naked. I want a full quiver. I want that wind playing on the bow and I want to see if I can place that shot effectively. Um, not that, you know, again, I probably wouldn't take that shot in the wind on an animal, but like you said earlier, getting out there and knowing that if I increase my distance in preparation, if I'm at, you know, 40, 50 yards in that crosswind, I'm going to be able to seal the deal on that animal. Yeah. If you have never practiced it, like what, you know, it's like they, I listen to, I listen to lots and lots of podcasts, um, which I love yours. Thank you. Love Thank you. What could he Wednesday with Mike Batiste and all, yeah, I mean, you, you guys do a great job. Um, but I listen to lots while I'm working on all this stuff while I'm running. You know, I, I actually, it's crazy. I have all this music that I, I don't listen to any of it. <laughs> I never, <laughs> almost never, you know, once in a while on accident, it starts playing and I'll let the song play through. And then I'm, then I'm on to the next podcast, podcast yeah, that I've been looking I'm forward to. Way, man. So, but, uh, but you know, if you haven't, you know, I was listening to one the other day, uh, they were talking about, um, it was actually, let me think here, Ryan Lampers, such a total stud. That guy's an animal and a beast. Uh, uh, the Healthy Hunter is his, is his Instagram handle. But I actually did a, a mountain ops cardio hike with Ryan and about 20 or 25 other people at this last hunt expo. And we went and hiked up, you know, this peak, uh, deep snow. And it was awesome. Had just an awesome 6 a.m before light, you know, had the headlamps out and that guy's an animal. I mean, you're looking like I can hang with that guy. And it's like, no, nobody can hang with that guy. <laughs> nobody that was there could hang with that guy. But anyway, my, my point is he, he was on this podcast. He was talking about uh, bear spray and he got charged by a, a black bear and kind of went through that story and same kind of thing. You know, if you're going to have bear spray, you better know how to use it. You better practice. You better be prepared and know kind of how it works and, you know, so that you're not just, you know, stuck <laughs> trying to figure out what to do right. you're when flying that blind. moment comes. Yeah. And yeah, so it hunts the same way. It's just, you need to be ready for any and all conditions. And if you practice under the worst possible scenario, the worst conditions out there. And I, I mean, even, even now, a lot of the guys that I hunt with are people, you know, people that I'm around a lot of times, I mean, they're, they're not, doing some of this stuff that, that I try and do on a regular basis at all. Um, and so, you know, what I, it really highlights the complaining to me and I just, I don't have much tolerance for it anymore. You know, I just don't like, there's nothing wrong with any of this, you know, yeah, it's public land. Yeah. There's other hunters. That's fine. That's just another part of the landscape guys. Like, we're, we're in their way, just like they might be in yours. So I, you know, I don't, 
I mean, I, I, it's actually ironic because the same mentality, the same mindset shift that I, that uh, has helped me through um, kind of this training and this regimen, um, this preparation I try and do um, gives me a positive outlook on that. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful when I see other people out because that means other people are hunting, they're enjoying the outdoors, they're out in public land, they're strength in numbers. And we want, we want more people to enjoy this. I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously whatever the land can support properly and the quotas and there's other people that are, you know, have, have degrees higher than mine uh, that they're making those decisions and I'll try and weigh in and help support those that I, that I can get behind and oppose those that I can't. But generally speaking, you know, most of the stuff I'm hunting is public land. Um, It's, you know, fair game for anyone. And if somebody's up there before me, well then shame on me. I should have got up there two hours earlier. You know, I'm not mad at them. I respect them. And I'm, you know, I, I give them kudos for being better than I was in that particular case. But the last thing I'm going to do is start cussing them or getting upset or frustrated. Um, I, I have had people mess up my hunt in my eyes or whatever, but, um, you know, that's just part of the deal. So yeah, and I think I'm, most, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think most guys, man, they, you know, guys will just come through an area that, you know, they really don't know. And, and how do we, how do we mark that area? Right. We're not, you know, we're not lifting our legs and peeing on a tree. They're not sniffing the base of the tree. You know, there's, you know, there's Michael in yeah. here, you know what I mean? So you hear that yeah. stuff and, and right. yeah, it's frustrating. Cause you might've put in some work and some time, but you know, yeah. what do you do? You just move on or, you know, you see them you exchange, you know, exchange some kind words, right. It's that brotherhood. Um, and figure mm-hmm. out how you, how you both work that area or, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll move on or they'll move on. I don't know, man, that that's a that's a thorn right for us um when we're when we're opposition you know oppositional to ourselves with that it just yeah that's a rough one man you you hear it all the time yeah yeah even even last year on my my elk hunt for the opener i mean i was i put in a lot of extra time i um found what i felt like was kind of a hunting hole and obviously it was a hunting hole for a couple other people too (laughs) so (laughs) i went I went in on the opener. I built a big brush blind. I, I had this awesome canyon. I had trail camera picks of uh, two really pretty decent six points for an over-the-counter open unit. I mean, uh, some fives, some other raghorns, uh, lots of spikes. I mean, so I built a brush blind 30 yards from this spring where they're coming and watering and um, felt like this would be a great opportunity to go and sit and wait. And uh, so I did on the opener. I, they, the, the poles just weren't pot yet. They weren't running. And in Utah, the hunt's very early. The archery's, you know, I mean, this year it's the 17th of August. Oh, so wow. it's, you know, very, very much pre-rut at that point. So, um, so I was trying to, you know, I had some bulls responding and I, I had some elk talking and, and, uh, but I, but I didn't ever have an opportunity to come in. So I went back in the next week and I get up to the mouth of this canyon and there's, it's just, you know, pretty, I have a, um, I have a motorcycle that I put a big, huge Maxxis Bighorn four wheeler tire on the back. And, uh, it's, it's basically one of those in throws like a, a Yamaha 200. And, uh, so I'll take that thing, you know, where, where those are allowed, um, instead of a four wheeler sometimes and, um, and at least get to a better position that I can hike from. So I was taking that up there and, 
and I didn't get very far up this canyon before um, there was a guide <laughs> there kind of not really blocking the road, but he was parked there, you know, and he had a client up there. And I found out later that client had set a, um, a blind, you know, like a freestanding blind up in my brush blind. And so like, well, <laughs> okay, I guess, you know, whatever. So I went and I went and found a completely new area that I had never hunted in. And, you know, it's fine. Spent the next two weeks trying to learn that. And I didn't end up killing a bull that year, but you know, okay. But you know, so <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm treading water here. So, <laughs> yeah. So that, that I would have a problem with right now. Okay. You're in the same area, but, but come on, there's a level of courtesy um, that should go into it. Right. Okay. A guy, you can clearly see that this is a brush blind. Why would you set up? On, yeah. You know what I mean? That just, yeah. I don't want to call it a slap in the face. Yeah. It's public land. They got to the blind first, but come on, man. You know, you know, I, that kind of stuff that that leads me to those guys that you know that's the guy that's going to block the road or that's the guy that's going to hoot and holler yeah. that you're in the same area um that's not a yeah. to me it's not a good example of how we should be behaving when we're in the woods if i see somebody i went on a bear hunt i think it was the last week in a bear season and uh found an area i said oh this area looks great you know i go in same thing there's a brush blind set up um I mean, it was pretty elaborate. This guy had an elaborate setup and, and no one was in it. And, and I saw that and I backed out of the area. I didn't know if he had planned to hunt it that uh -huh. weekend. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. There's a level of respect or a level of courtesy that if you see somebody's brush blind or something, man, you walk away from it. What's the difference if you would have had a pop-up and he had climbed in the pop-up, you know? Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that's true. So it's a great point. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, that's a notch or two below maybe sitting in my tree. Stand. Yeah, <laughs> but, you right. know, you hear of that, you hear of that stuff too, you yeah. know? So, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, my rule is I, I will live on that high road, um, as, as much as I can. You know, I, I definitely will, uh, speak my mind, um, respectfully and boldly when, when I feel so inclined, but, um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to, it's not going to ruin my hunt. I'm ready. I can go find another bowl or I can go, you know, I'll be fine. But, but yeah, generally speaking, we need to take the high road. I yeah. Think. And well, and that high road, in my opinion, will open eyes, right? If you're like, yeah. Hey, you know, yeah. all right guys, though, you know, I had that brush blind sitting there, but go ahead, have at it. Right. They're going to think about what they did. There's no, there's no way you can't. I don't care what kind of person you are. You're yeah. going to think about that. That high road is is of the utmost importance, man. Yeah. And I think that's indicative of most most hunters that I run. I mean, rarely, you know, there's just like any group of people, you've, you've always got those, <laughs> the, the numbskulls that are, you know, not, you know, their heads screwed on a little crooked or whatever, but uh, there's all types. But generally... Um, you know, I don't, I don't have or run into too many issues out there. Um, I'm always happy to, again, be helpful. Had that a couple of years ago to the year when I killed that elk too, same thing. There were some guys that were going to, they had a limited entry deer permit in that unit where I was hunting over the counter elk and we were camped in the same Canyon and, you know, I had trail cameras in a few different areas. They did too. In fact, we had some on the same Springs. I didn't know it at the time, but I told them and they told me and, and I said, 
well, you guys have the limited tag. Mine's over the counter. Where do you want to hunt? And I'll go, I'll go the other place. And they were very appreciative. And they said, you know what? And then they gave me some information. Hey, we're not hunting elk. We're hunting deer, but we saw this herd over here. And I mean, so they, they tried to be helpful. And, and I told them about the deer I'd seen. I didn't have a deer tag. And, you know, I'm actually put in for that unit this year and I'm almost at maximum points. If, I, if it's not this year, then probably the next one or two. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I believe in, you know, helping a brother out when, when you have an opportunity to do so. And I think it what goes around comes around and that, you know, karma or goodwill or whatever you want to call it. I think, uh, I think it finds its way back to you. Oh, it definitely does, man. I'm on a, I'm a firm believer in that firm believer. So we have a couple of common acquaintances, friends, buddies, brothers, um, talk about Tate Hale, uh, Sydney Smith. Those guys are absolute inspirations to me, man. Uh, Weston Jenkins, you know, with, with disabled outdoorsmen, um, Sean with treading timber and that effort they're putting forth, man. And, um, wow. There's a lot to be said about that group of guys, man, is why is that something you're behind and what's the importance of, of taking part in something like that, even in the smallest way? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, like you, I mean, I draw great inspiration from, um, you know, what what each of those individuals represent in their own uh, way. Um, interestingly enough, um, Sydney, Sid Smith, was one of my Boy Scouts as a young man. And so I've known him since he was five or six years old. Um, and so we were neighbors and, and his dad and I were both um, in the scouting program together as leaders. And so I took Sid on all kinds of campouts and hiking excursions and different, um, diff- different outdoor events as he grew up. And, um, you know, when I, when I heard about his amputation, I mean, I, I was completely shocked and I, I mean, in fact, I was, it brought me to tears. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know that it had gotten that bad. I remember when he was younger, he had, he had some challenges in his feet, you know, he'd had surgeries and, and I'm, you know, we'd be playing basketball or something. You could tell that he was in pain or that it wasn't, it wasn't uh, easy for him to run around like everybody else was at the time. So I knew he'd had a condition, but I, I had no idea that it had escalated or degenerated to the point uh, where that was necessary. So I, I saw a post that he, that he made about it and, you know, immediately reached out to him and, uh, you know, just couldn't believe um, what he was going through. But uh, so I've stayed in contact with him since that time. And um, just like before, uh, you know, we were already friends, but I, I, uh, I know he was, he, he followed my, uh, my cousin that, you know, James Lawrence, Aaron Cowboy pretty closely because he had this, uh, idea of wanting to do an Ironman, which he's, he's getting ready to do this year. So, um, so Sid and I have remained close and I met Tate through my acquaintance with Sid a couple of years ago, just, just on social media. I haven't, haven't, uh, shaken his hand yet, but I'm hoping to do so when he comes in town for this elk hunt coming up and, um, you know, Weston, of course, working with both of them. And I, you know, loved the podcast that you did with, with Sean Ward and Trading Timber and Weston and Disabled Outdoors in USA and, and also Sid and, and of course, um, Tate. 
and tapes, you know, that full podcast you did with him. I mean, oh, that just goodness. <laughs> took it to a whole new level for me. I'm like, that dude is a freaking stud. Yeah. And I already knew that, but I just didn't, you know, I've never heard all of that. And he and I have messaged back and forth for a couple of years now. And even, in fact, at the Sean, Sean Ward um, has been following me for a while. And we've, he doesn't live very far from me. I was just at his house the other day, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, went and, um, you know, we, we actually spent some time together at the Hunt Expo. He brought his boy there and, you know, we shot up a little indoor archery thing together and kind of hung out at the Expo for a bit. And, uh, so just a, just a great guy, just a, a huge heart. And, um, you know, I think I can do to help those guys out, um, with their cause or, you know, I told them, man, if you need someone to help pack elk meat or spot or whatever, you know, I'd love to come and be a part of what you're doing. And I know they probably got three dozen people that would love to be a part of it, you know, but, um, yeah, just great respect for, you know, the, the goodwill and the way that, um, Sean and Weston want to share those things with, uh, with those that, that maybe haven't had as many opportunities or that, that, that have those physical limitations that don't make it impossible, but surely, uh, difficult yeah, to do to accomplish right. right yeah and what we can draw off of that man and that's one the one thing with with sid and tate right and uh, i respect weston and sean immensely but <clears throat> when you talk to both of uh both those guys man sydney and and tate man it's just it's just something that's just next level right i i mean when you, when I listen, I, I don't listen to my own podcast, but, but <laughs> Tate's, I listen to it, right? Because, and every time, and yeah. I think I've listened to it four times now, right? There's always something that, that grabs me every time I listen to it, man, it's just so powerful. And to think, you know, they could just throw in the towel, right? And I said it in his episode, I believe I said it when I talked to all four of those gentlemen and I said it earlier in yours here, it's so easy for us. And I hate saying able body, right? Because those guys are 110% able body, in my opinion. Um, sure. It's just so easy for us to shrug our shoulders and make excuses, man. And you look at guys like that and you go, what am I thinking? <laughs> what am yeah. I thinking? You know, it's just, it's amazing, yeah. man. It's amazing. I think we're definitely on the same yeah, they- page when it comes to them. Yeah, they're really, and, and he said, and again, just like, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it wasn't obvious to me, but it became obvious. Um, last year, uh, Mountain Ops invited um, Sid and I to go um, shoot with a group of some of the people um, that, that they were taking up on one of the courses. And, and so Sid and I got to go shoot that entire course together. And some of that terrain is pretty nasty for you know a guy with both legs and you know without without any prospects and so um that was that was a, a pleasure and a joy to be able to be with Sid and spend time with him and watch him work through that and and you know the whole time that positivity and he didn't want anyone to help him that you know wasn't completely necessary um you know, he didn't even like to lean on you unless he just has to lean on something or he's going to tip over like a tree, you know? Um, but to watch him shoot from a knee or because again, that limitation uh, that, you know, 
he, he might be swaying. He's not, he needs to lean on something because of that, those calf muscles to keep him to keep him upright and and still. And so um, the fact that he is getting after it, doing what he's doing, I've, I've run um, a couple of the, the keep hammering runs with him at the expo and Toll Archery Challenge, and I mean just to watch him. You know, I've got video footage of of all of his finishes of those things because. You know, it's just so inspiring to watch him cross that finish line. And in fact, the first time I ever saw him do it, there was another guy that had fallen and gotten hurt. Sid was there helping the guy and basically helping carry this guy. Uh, you know, the guy was leaning on Sid and, you know, and all Sid was worried about is if he was okay. And I'm just saying, and he fell two or three times himself, you know, because again, the, the, those trails, I mean, they're hard to navigate as it is, you know. And, um, so just nothing but respect and, and, um, you know, gratitude for the friendship that I, that I have with, with Sid and, the, and this friendship that, you know, I've been able to kindle with Kate also and looking forward to watching them continue to soar and inspire because they, they definitely do. So we'll lighten it up a little bit, man. I, I like to hear what's in people's packs, man. I don't know what it is. It's the gear junkie in me. <laughs> so three things, sure. three must-haves in your pack. No rifle, no bow, but three must-haves that you carry in that pack. You can't leave without. Well, um, I do. I mean, I I have a camel back. That's something that I, you know, I know there's different ways of, you know, life straw and other things too, but obviously a camel back. I got to make sure I've got the liquid that I need no matter what. I don't know if that's really considered gear, but um, I, I, as far as gear goes, um, I definitely, uh, make sure that I have a high quality knife, uh, to, to help me do the job when I, when I have the opportunity to seal the deal. And so, um, I use a Benchmade knife that's, uh, in fact, you know, I cut myself when I was buying the knife. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to feel it and you just treat it like a normal knife and they're not. So that Benchmade knife is that thing's the real deal for sure. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, my Onyx maps, which used to be, I still have a Garmin Rhino 650. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, count on it a whole lot, but I, I still have it as a backup and something else. Um, along with the backup battery pack so that, you know, I've got a, a little solar one too. So that's kind of another gear thing, but I make sure that I have plenty of battery accessibility for the, the electronics uh, that I need. Um, so that's, you know, Onyx is just uh, incredible. What, what that's due to, or been able to do to revolutionize. Um, and then one new piece of gear that I, that I actually have not had the opportunity to hunt with yet, but, I'm really excited about this year is uh, these stockasins. I don't know if you've heard of those uh, leather moccasins that are, you know, made uh, handmade here for guys. You've, have you seen those before? Yeah, or yeah heard I've of seen them. them. <clears throat> I've seen them. Is that the, they come up yeah. over your calf as well, right? Is that the one you're talking about? They come up pretty high. Um, this one, it's, it's just kind of a, it's more like a, almost like a high top boot. It oh, okay. doesn't come up over the calf. These are, um, they're, uh, trying to remember the name of the big picture of the logo in my head, but it's a, that's a local guy, I think here in Utah, actually, that's, that's been making those. And, uh, 
I mean, they're about now they're about 140 bucks, but um, really excited to put those things to work and, and to give those things a whirl this season. So normally I, I've got the bear paws. Um, they kind of flip over your boot. Right. Uh, I've had those known before. Yeah. I've, I've had um, those. But they get stickers and junk caught in them all the time. And they're kind of, you know, they end up being a cocklebird <laughs> trap and whatever else. So, uh, but you know, when, when you've got to get in and get close and get sneaky, that's, that's something else. Um, and I'm in the last, I mean, I, I probably already gave you three. Um, Rangefinder is another thing that I just, um, you know, I wouldn't leave without it just to confirm, especially on the angle compensation stuff, even though I do everything I can to be familiar and to know where I'm at. Uh, I just, you know, one too many times I missed because I was off and I, I, I can't afford to put all that time and effort work into being in that situation and then make a, make a mistake on yardage. Yeah. I, I I lean on mine now, man. I remember, <laughs> I remember those misses. I lean on mine. I'll, you know, I'll do as much ranging, you know, as I can, um, you know, out ahead if we're, you know, if we're on a setup and, and something's coming in and then I'll put it away and have an idea. But especially when we get on those angles, especially uphill, man, I'm, I'm not the greatest judge in that uphill distance for some reason. Yeah. You know, it, it seems weird to me too. Yeah, my mind just doesn't quite, it doesn't seem natural to me how that how those adjustments are but you know it's uh it's math <laughs> it's just math i didn't understand mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean i can do it and it's funny because i can i can eyeball you know 40 50 yards downhill but looking uphill man yeah. I'm, I'm always off the mark i for whatever reason i'm always i always fall short so so what's the uh, what's the one thing you carry in your pack that you probably don't need or you've never used? Well, um, it sounds, it might sound stupid, but I always have a compass. No, it's actually never it's not. It. I'm, I, I'm actually I, a, a I, map and I, compass I guy. Don't. Yeah. 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 So I don't, you know, but I, for some reason I, I never pull it out. I'd seem to, now, when I was younger, I probably needed it more and, and I did pull it out, but, um, I've just learned now constantly paying attention to where I'm at in relation to, and really, I mean, rarely am I just off, um, certainly not, uh, typically disoriented, but I mean, I do, I guess technically with Onyx and some of these other things, you, you I've got backup options that if I need it, but that stuff's more for, you know, I'm in a mark where I, where you know where I spotted something, or you know I mark where my trail cameras are at, or I mark where I saw these bulls, or whatever. Um, even for future hunts, so it's it's not really so much about that year. It's just in the future I want to be able to get back to that place if I need to. I've got all kinds of great places marked in New Mexico for Barbary sheep, but now I got to go draw a tag again to use those. So. No, I think the compass, I, I, that to me is a, is a lost art, man, is, is a map and a compass. And I, for whatever reason, I enjoy it. Um, and that could be, you know, Onyx wasn't around. I couldn't afford a GPS and that's kind of how I cut my teeth. Um, I use Onyx like crazy now, but I still, I have to carry that map, have to have that map and that compass, man. And I haven't had Onyx lead me, lead me wrong. You know, I do, I, 
I do a lot of preparation. So I'll do my offline map, right? And I'll, I can take it offline in airplane mode to kind of conserve that battery and, you know, still do good with it. But yeah, there's something about having the security of that map to me that just, uh, I can't get rid of, cannot get rid of. Yeah. I, I used to use, I mean, we did, we'd buy all the maps, get the forest road maps and, you know, highlight them and, you know, do everything, mark it up. And I mean, I did all that cause that's what you had to do. You know, 20, 30 years ago, that was, that's all there was. Yeah, but, that was um, but yeah, anymore it's coordinates and onyx and, you know, I Google earth um, in advance. I actually, you know, this elk unit, it's called Penguich Lake, uh, where I drew that expo tag. And I've been through that. In fact, my dad grew up in that area um, and, you know, I have relatives or friends down that way. But I've been through there and traveled. It's beautiful country. But um, I've, in fact, uh, one of my good friends, um, you might be familiar with Ryan Carter with DC Outfitters. Um, he's an elk guide and a real expert on the um, on the boulder unit that, that also borders the same unit I'm in. And, uh, you know, they, he, he's helped his hunters take a lot of really nice bulls, um, several over the 400 inch range. And, uh, I called him shortly after I drew that permit, you know, kind of trying to get the skinny on the unit or, or learn what he knew. And he told me, you know, that it's actually one of the most beautiful and picturesque units in the state. And it's just a, an incredible, um, just really, really beautiful terrain and, you know, just a, a, a really enjoyable place to hunt. So I, I've never had a tag in my pocket down there. So I'm really looking forward to learning that area. And I'll, I've already been doing a lot of research, but, um, in fact, there's another guy, uh, I don't know if you know who Benny O'Brien is with, he's with the meat eater crew and, um, he's got a podcast, the hunting collective also, that's, that's another one I enjoy listening to. Um, he drew this expo tag in 2016 in that same unit and, and he killed a really nice bull down there. So I was messaging with him and he was good enough to kind of give me, point me to the pictures of what he got and, and I gave me a little bit of advice on that area. But, uh, so yeah, I'm very, very excited to put that gear in play on that uh on that elk tag because it's any more i mean i in at least in utah with point creep and everything else um i actually i drew a muzzle loader tag for bull elk in 2012 and uh passed up about a 330 bull was chasing a couple of 370 bulls and um you know it's not all about the points or inches necessarily but but surely um you know when you get a tag like that you want to you want to kill the, the biggest animal you can, the most mature bull that's had the most opportunity to spread his seed. And, you know, has, has the, he, he's on the downhill side of useful at that point. Um, and, you know, a lot of times at that, when they get, you know, get to that certain age and size, they're, they're not going to make it past too many more ruts either. So, um, but anyway, didn't end up, didn't end up getting one. And so that cleared out all my points. And in Utah, there's a waiting period of five years after you draw a limited entry permit. So, so then I had to switch over and start putting in for limited entry deer because you have to choose deer or elk uh, in Utah. And so, so I have zero elk points. So the fact that I drew this permit is, well, you know, I, I may not see another one in my lifetime like that without 
either spending some big money or really uh, getting lucky again. So, so you got your Utah hunt. Uh, you're potentially looking at Wyoming this year if that uh, mm-hmm. goes your mm-hmm. way. What else? Anything else for 2019? Yeah, I have a um, archery tag for deer in Idaho. Also, um, this one's it's kind of a it's basically a trespass tag. Um, it's it's not a ranch, so to speak. There's just access to, to a really big and nice area. I haven't hunted there before, and I've in fact, I've never even done any hunts like that. Everything I do is typically just public land, over-the-counter um, type of situation. But um, my brother hunted there this last year with a good friend of his. And they, they killed some pretty good bucks and kind of learned the unit, the area. Um, so I have an opportunity for um, for that tag. But um, my brother and I secured some tags. But depending on how my elk hunt goes, um, you know, he may he may take and use my archery tag. Um, he got a rifle one, and so um, he may switch and and just use that one if I don't end up being able to get away if I don't if I don't get a bull soon enough. And so you know I'm going to focus on that. And same thing with my local. I have a deer permit here too. And you know the archery seasons are the same for deer and elk. And so you kind of I've just learned. Uh, you know, you, you kind of ought to focus on what you're going yeah. after because, you know, bird in the hand. Yeah, uh, beats two in the bush. Seems like you sure. end up totally empty-handed if you if you can't make up your mind and, uh, you know, choose what you're focused on. So I also have, um, I've got 19 moose points for Utah. So I'm getting in that zone where I've got potential the next, two or three years, if not this year, of drawing a moose permit. And I will hunt that with my bow also. Um, but uh, time will tell. And then, um, you know, there's some opportunities for a bear hunt also here possibly, but same thing, just kind of depending on my uh, my house completion and how busy I can get with that. Uh, I've got a nephew that does um, guiding for, uh, I mean, does deer and elk also, but uh, runs hounds and, and does uh, cougar and bear hunting also. So, Yeah. That cougar thing is coming up a lot, man. It's, it's hit my radar like crazy lately, man, talking to people. And, um, the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta explore that world. Um, yeah, that, uh, looks like a blast. I spoke with, uh, officer Chad Bracken last night and, uh, we did an episode and, uh, yeah, he had me, he had me just uh, spinning in circles talking about it. I said it was the most challenging hunt. This guy's been hunting since he was four or five years old. And he said, bar none, wow. the hardest thing he's ever done in his entire life was was chase cougars with hounds. But yeah. Oh, just, yeah. it's just an amazing experience to watch those dogs work. Yeah, I've been on a few of those and, and I've had a tag on a couple of occasions and um, haven't haven't treated anything big enough or male or th- that we were looking for when I've had my, my personal tags. Um, in Utah, in fact, they have they've done this last couple of years for bears too, but they have this um, kind, of a, kind of harvest objective permit where they're over quota for bear population or cougars in a given range. And so the guides have to call every day to confirm where they're at based on quota. 
and they'll find out, you know, what if, if they're still able to get out. Um, so at some point as the season winds down, usually those quotas get filled. Um, but uh, so that's a, that's an over-the-counter tag. However, I have nine bear points in Utah and I think four or five cougar. So same thing. I mean, if I put in for certain units, I could draw those permits, you know, in more of a little bit of a more premium area. But uh, they, I've been on both bear and, and cougar hunts and they are absolutely awesome. I mean, you might be going 15, 20 miles right. or, you know, three, you just, you have no idea. You let those hounds go and it's like, okay, I guess we'll see where this goes. That's exactly you know, what Chad said. No they idea. go, you go. <laughs> yeah. In circles sometimes. And so that's always fun, but you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time for sure. So, so <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that, uh, and I'm, you know, you've heard the episodes, um, that I like to talk about or get, you know, perspective on is your view or others views of conservation and the future of hunting, man, just a one to two minute deal. Um, give us the importance of, and, and your views and what you think we should be partaking in and looking at, uh, to help continue this, uh, lifestyle that we love, man. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I, um, I feel like it is absolutely critical. I mean, I know you hear the statistics of, of, uh, you know, the hunting numbers are down, baby boomers are, you know, kind of getting to an age where they're hunting less and the kids of today are, you know, they're more into technology and other, other things are not quite as into the outdoors as maybe prior generations have been. So I, I know that no matter where that pendulum is and, and those numbers are at statistically, uh, it is absolutely more critical now than ever that we focus on and maintain access to these public lands because as soon as as soon as those the the pendulum swings too far the other direction just like we've seen with so many other uh, pieces of legislation and uh i just i mean as as we know and i know it could seem cliche people use the term all the time but i i believe it wholeheartedly hunting truly is conservation um hunters donate more money, more resources, more, uh, more investment of their time, their, uh, their, their dollars. Um, in my particular case, like I said, I've been 15 years straight of being in the dedicated hunter program. So I put many hundreds of donated hours into projects that the fish and game or the forest service needs help with. And there's thousands of others like me. They're also donating that time. And so we're not just stone cold killers out there trying to, you know, go and shoot something for the sake of doing it. I mean, we're, we're actually investing our time and our money into not only what we love and what we, that time honored tradition that we've all, uh, you know, a lot of your audience has, has found valuable and important in their life. But, you know, we've got, we've got our children and our grandchildren that are coming up on our heels and they're, they're not going to have those opportunities if we don't uh, keep things in proper perspective as it relates to government legislation, all of those that are making these decisions for hunters that probably don't own a gun, probably have never shot a bow, probably, you know, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, you know, I don't think they, you know, some of these people have ever even been out camping in a tent. 
I just don't want people that don't know what that feels like making those decisions to be deciding yeah. what access my children or grandchildren have to enjoy those things that I, that I don't. I I would feel lost without those in, in my life. I mean, they're just they're some of my greatest, most cherished memories are out out in the in the woods in the wilderness out in God's country, like you said, the high country. Perfect, man. Perfect. So anything you want to say in closing, spread some of that uh, Michael T. Murrow positivity, man. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest thing, I mean, you hear the term embrace the suck. I mean, that's, I, I, that's really become something that I um, gravitate to in a way that I didn't ever before. I didn't understand. And, um, you know, we, uh, I mean, just to, a perspective on this, uh, you know, my wife, she's been in the fitness her whole life. I mean, since she was a teenager and when I was dating her in high school, she was always running on the treadmill or she had an exercise bike. And so she's just been a lifelong fitness junkie and has always appreciated that. And and I just didn't, I didn't have that. And so, um, it took a while. It took me watching other people do things that I wished I could do or that I thought in my mind I could do, but my body wasn't letting me do anymore because I, lost that fitness. And so, um, when, when in, in this fitness journey that I've been a part of, it started with that first mile. And even if I had to walk, the key was consistency. And so I think no matter what anybody out there, you know, and I get people all the time and have a lot of, a lot of people that'll ask something about this, that, or advice for, you know, how did you do this? Or what do you do for that? And, and some of these kids are in high school and they, you know, they, they're a little overweight or they they want to get in better shape or they like hunting or they want to get into it. or And, and some of them are, you know, full grown adults that feel like they, uh, you know, want to enjoy, enjoy some of these years before they get too old to get out and do it. And so whatever part of life people are in, um, just set an achievable goal that stretches you just a little bit and, and let it be short term enough and measurable enough that you can actually watch yourself achieve that and, and let others around you support you and lift you up. Reach out to me, reach out to, to Sid or Tate or, you know, or Guy, you, you know, there, there's plenty of people out there that are interested in spreading that positive and that beneficial message of doing hard things and achieving and accomplishing goals, whatever those are. And what, what it's done for me is that ceiling just keeps going higher and higher and higher. And it's, I mean, it's, it's so far past what I ever imagined. You know, if you told me, you know, five years ago that I'd be able to run marathons or that I'd, you know, hike, hike up that mountain with a hundred pound pack on and smile most of the way. And, you know, or, or, be able to, to shoot my bow with accuracy, whether I'm tired or not at 70, 80, a hundred yards, um, you know, or, or accomplish some of these things that, that I've set for myself as goals in in my hunting, uh, enjoyment. I, you know, I'd have thought you're just absolutely crazy, but a little at a time and, uh, achievable, measurable, and, and where I just hold myself accountable. And what it does is it, it changes your perspective. So now, I mean, we just went on a cruise for spring break um, with my family. And 
for the first time ever. I've been on a few, you know, several cruises and I never got on the elevator once, including holding all of our luggage and everything. I mean, we, you know, like 14, 14 levels on the ship and we took the stairs every time. And, you know, the kids complained here and there, but my wife and I both wanted to take the stairs. And so it, we're not awesome because we did that. It's just, that's the shift. That's where it has changed me as a person. That's where I am now different than I ever was before. And I'm never going to be the same again. And it's because that mentality that says, I choose health. I choose, uh, you know, hard things. I'm okay to be uncomfortable. I want to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I want to crave and seek those things that are going to make me grow and expand as a person over those that are going to let me take it easy and kind of cruise on in and hang back with the crowd and, you know, just kind of float through. I mean, life's way too easy. We have it way too convenient as it is. You know, we're so spoiled well beyond, I think, you know, what most of our perspectives let us realize. And, and so, you know, get back to things that are hard and push you and stretch you. And I think what you'll find is that it is a more joyful existence. There is a far more benefit and reward that you can enjoy. And it's not hard. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost me anything to go take the stairs. It doesn't cost me anything to go tr- run on that trail. I mean, you know, I can just, I can go, I can go barefooted if I want, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's, you know, so, um, and, and then when you're out hunting or doing things that are really, truly kind of hard, it doesn't seem like it. It's, it can be fun. So, yeah, the cost of not doing that is pretty expensive, right? When you start looking inward and how you feel when you weren't doing those things. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty powerful message, man. I don't want to expand too much on that. We can go crazy. We start talking about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Michael, I greatly appreciate your time, man. Um, your positivity, the inspiration that you bring to my day with that, uh, that smile on those posts, man. Um, I, I can't say enough about, uh, looking forward to those. Uh, can't say enough about, you know, you, I, I really, really do appreciate the time with you here. It was, it was great chatting with you, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Guy. Thanks for the opportunity, and, and I keep doing the good work you're doing. I'm uh, sure enjoying it and love, love the journey you're on, and I and, uh, look forward to you know seeing and hearing more of what you got coming up. And I'll keep you posted on this elk hunt and, and other things going on. Uh, hopefully uh, be reporting positive and, and uh, joyful results here shortly. Good deal, man. We'll have to get on and uh, talk about that hunt when uh, after September gets uh, wrapped up for us, man. Sounds good. I'd like that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll work on some content to make it more interesting. <laughs> oh, no, man. You know, no, this is, uh, this is great, man. I told you, you know, that positivity, man. I love it. I love it. Good deal, Michael. All right. You can catch up with Michael on Instagram at Michael T. Merrill. Head over to westerncontours.com for the full lineup of episodes. Thank you for listening. 
Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.
Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.